Well, good morning again. My name is Glenn, and if you don't know, I am on staff here at Redeemer Church. I have been for five years, um, and some other stuff to know about me is that um, I'm a weak man. I'm really easily duped by lies, and as I was prepping for this message, I was just like, wow, it's really easy for me to believe lies. I know some of you are expecting a little bit of a longer warm-up, but that's not how we do it here at Redeemer. It, golfing was yesterday. Today, we're heading into a snowstorm. But what I'm trying to say is that we were created in God's image, and um, when we were created in God's image, like everything was set straight at that point. Adam and Eve walking with God, right? Safety at the very foundation of their lives, great peace, no oppression, no terror, no strife. Uh, raised against them. Um, but Adam and Eve were able to sin. How do I know that? Because they did, right? Um, they sinned a deep and foundational sin. And that's what I want to focus in on this morning is that sin and then how God undoes that sin and re redeems that sin. But when they sinned, in Adam and Eve was found this deep unholiness. Right? We, we tend to think of Adam and Eve as like, yeah, 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 they had it all together, it was perfect, but it wasn't because they had the ability to sin. And that unholiness, that sin surrounded questioning God and his word, right? Did God really say, is what the serpent said to them, and they bought the question of God's character, of his beauty, of his power, and of his word. Their perception, how they perceived the serpent, which was a lie, and how they perceived God, which is true, was the unholiness that was uncovered in that moment. You see, to have true peace is to take God at his word, right? It's to say, God, you are right, and not question it. To have his truth deeply accepted in our hearts, that becomes deep satisfaction in him. It's what we were created to be, and it's what we were created to do. The truth that God had us in mind as objects of his love since before the foundation of the world, that everything is going to be okay because of that, that's what we were created. That's what needs to be in our DNA. It is in our DNA. We were created for truth, for God's truth, and the truth that everything will be okay, that God is not to be questioned, and yet they did that. And when they did that, that's that's when sin entered the world, and we see that sin today. We say we don't feel his truth, right? We say, well, God says these things in the Bible, but my circumstances say something different. And for us to question God's truth, the, the implications of it are crazy. It's why we have stress. It's why we have anxiety. Um, ADAA.org says that one out of every five people sitting in here today are stressed out and anxious. One in five. Uh, last year, $17 billion was spent on antidepressants alone, not including anti-anxiety meds, other meds that help us deal with stress. Many of us have constant heartburn, stomach issues, we don't feel well, we have anxiety, we have panic attacks. There's this low-level fear and anger that's always presenting itself. It's always right underneath the surface, not just once, but all the time. See, I have this twitch that comes and goes. It's above my 
my left eye, and I'm always afraid that both men and women are thinking I'm flirting with them, but <laughs> it's actually my eyes just having like a panic attack up there because of stress, because I don't believe the very truth of who God is, that everything is going to be okay, that he loved me from before the foundation of the world. So we medicate, and our lives feel storm-tossed and stressed. Isaiah 54, 11 was just read, Oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed, not comforted, stressed out and anxious. It's because our relationship to the truth got compromised and destroyed. To put it a different way, Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That means holding it down. It means downplaying it. It means saying that the truth is, yeah, it's there, but I'm not really going to believe it. I'm not really going to receive it and accept it. Romans 1.25 says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. This is what I do. This is in my heart. This is in our hearts. See, in that moment when Adam and Eve heard the truth of God and turned from it, there was a movement of exchanging God's truth for a lie, uh, exchanging his character and his beauty and his power for some other thing, something that promises us the same truth, the same character and beauty. But I'll let you in on a little secret here. It's a lie. It's dripping with evil. It's hollow, promising lie. It's an expose you at the first chance it gets lie. It's a steaming pile of non-truth, and we swim in that lie and those lies, and we traffic in them, and we believe them, and we put our hope in them, and what happens is we get afflicted and storm-tossed and not comforted. See, lies then become our experience. So what if I told you, do you remember a few days ago, we had, it was a really windy day, and we had like a south wind, 40, 40 mile per hour plus gusts, right? So I decided to ride my bike that day, and I was going down the trail, I was heading south, because I wanted to get the, the hard stuff over with first. So I'm heading into the wind, 40 mile per hour gusts. And I come up on this dude, and this dude is like a professional rider. Like he's got full on, he's got like a jersey with numbers on it, and it's made out of like spandex, which is from like 1988, but it's cool now because he's wearing it. And he's got these shorts that are like contoured shorts. And this dude's calves were huge. Like every time he hit the pedal, it was, I had to like, step back. I was like, this dude's huge. And he had like this computer on his wrist that was like telling him every heartbeat and every spoke that was turning and all of that. And here I am, I'm just riding by and I rode by this dude like he was standing still. And I'm like, you know, it's, I haven't gotten rid of my winter fat yet. I'm pushing middle age. I found my shorts in the bottom of a drawer and I was like, yeah, these will work. And I blew by this dude like he was standing still, literally. My experience says that I'm a better bike rider than this dude, that I'm like in better shape and all of that than this dude. But the rest of the story is I was on an electric bike. So <laughs> every time I push, like this little electric motor is pushing me even faster. So I blew by this dude and he was just like, what? I mean, looking at me all strange. And I was like, hey, breathing like a latte in my left hand. 
But our, per- our perception becomes paramount in our lives because we start to believe our perception, right? Our perception even becomes the place of truth for us. We start to dig in. I've had people say, Glenn, this is what I perceive that this person said about me. It has to be true, right? You ever done that? I think the reason why our perception becomes so important is because um, we, we, what, we believe that what you see is what you get, right? Like, I, this is my experience, so it must be true. This is my perception, so it's got to be what's really happening. But the thing of it is, the Bible tells us, we say what we see is what we get, but we see dimly. And because we see dimly, our perception cannot be trusted. Not like Jesus can be trusted. Our perception is simply our experience. It's simply what we think is what it is. And yet God stands outside of that as truth, as objective. The reality is, is that we carry a deep, broken place in us that's directly related to our inability to trust God at his word. Uh, there's this guy named Byron Kelly. He's not even close to worshiping Jesus. He's just out there, um, psychologist type of thing. He says, all stress and anxiety come from us desiring something besides reality. It comes from a broken view of our own experiences, a.k.a. our perception. Many times, it's not the problem that causes our stress and anxiety. It's our thinking about the problem that causes our stress. Now, I don't want to downplay anyone's experience. I know that there have been atrocious things done toward you, some of you, some of us. I know that your humanity has been sinned against in deep, deep ways, and I don't want to downplay that. But what I want to see happen is that your perceptions are then reframed. Uh, Your meaning of that situation is redefined by the gospel, redeemed by Jesus. He says, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication for me, declares the Lord. His vindication is to set straight our experiences based on his redemptive facts. We're afflicted. We're storm-tossed. We're not comforted. That's our experience. We believe lies. We believe lies so deeply and for so long that when God actually does drop a truth on us, we're like half-heartedly believe it. Like, God loves you. Well, yeah, but I need to clean myself up in order for that to be true, right? So the lies that they believed back in Isaiah, the lies that form their experience, their perceptions, they're not that far from us because God talks to those lies, and we'll get into that in just a minute. And because they are lies that we have bought for, we've bought, we've exchanged for these lies and that they did, The only way that these perceptions get changed is through the power of the Holy Spirit to move on us, to help us. And so many of you may have noticed that I didn't pray opening up because I wanted to pray now. I've been looking forward to this moment when I can pray and ask God to do that. So pray with me if you would. Father, I come to you and I'm excited about how you and your word stand as truth. And that, Lord Jesus, at the cross, it changes things, it reframes, it redefines, it removes false perceptions and replaces them with with truth. 
And thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit of truth to live in us, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, to move in us, to indwell us, to fill our mouths, to help us, to comfort us. So Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend, you would move toward the mall, you would move toward Redeemer Church in such a way that you would help us to see those perceptions, those lies that we have believed for decades, and that you, in your power and in your kindness, would remove them and reframe them and help us, Lord. We need your help because we are afflicted. We're storm-tossed. We need comfort. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. See, when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us, he does that in such a way that he gives us the ability and the power for us to start to question our own perceptions, right? That's, if our heart is truly desperately wicked and filled with deceit, which is what Jeremiah says that our heart is, then what we have through the power of the Holy Spirit is to question the perceptions that come out of our heart, which is desperately wicked and filled with deceit. And a, a, a mercy of God is that he gives us the ability to do that. I think this, why do I think this? What's actually true? Let's do a little bit of a, um, I don't know, workshop. You don't really have to work. You just kind of got to listen. But uh, let's take this phrase, this perception, and, and bring it into our hearts. And I want to deconstruct it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we'll just do it on a, on a peer-to-peer basis. Let's just say my coworker hates me and wants me to fail. Right? That's our perception that somebody hates me and they want me to fail. So I want you to question this through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first question I want you to ask of this, is it true, right? A lot of times we have perceptions and when we stop to actually think, okay, uh, this is a perception, this is something that I feel, but is it true? Truth is so important for us. If we're ever gonna go from storm-tossed to feeling free and peaceful, we got to live in the truth. And God knows this. That's why in verse 11, his answer to, or verse 12, his answer to the person in verse 11 is to, I will set your stones in antimony. I will lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. All those things. Antimony, is like a, a, an element. It's a hard stone. Lay your foundations with sapphires. They're somewhat transparent, a precious stone. Agate, again, another rock. Carbuncles, more precious stones. All of your walls of precious stones. All precious stones. That's the foundation that he wants to lay for the nation of Israel. All hard. All will withstand wind. All will withstand time. All will withstand storms. All will stay when other things fall apart or get destroyed. God says he will make them out of rock. And what we see in the, in the Bible is that something else stands. Something else moves beyond storms. Something else stays even though time progressive progresses. And that is truth. God wants to establish the nation of Israel with truth. 
something that will stand. And he sends his son Jesus, and Jesus says this about the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. For someone who is storm-tossed and afflicted, they need to know the truth of how God loves them and looks at them. And until they do, they will be storm-tossed. And Jesus says that when you know that truth, the effect of it will be that you'll be set free. And the church, what we do is we tell the truth to each other. Paul tells Timothy that it's the household of God, the church, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. We got to have something that we can hang on that's not going to move, that's not going to change, and it's the objective truth of God. That's why he wants to set the nation of Israel under truth, under something that will withstand time, withstand storms, right? So going back to our little workshop thing. So you hear or you feel or you perceive that your coworker hates you and wants you to fail. Is it true? That's the first thing that you ask. Secondly, can you absolutely know beyond the shadow of a doubt, excuse me, that it's true? Can you know that it's true? So if you're absolutely sure that they want you to fail and that they wish that you were dead or whatever, then great. Like, that's helpful to know the truth, right? But if not, this question will actually help reveal the truth, right? So why would we do this? Why would we start to question this truth? Because it might be a perception. It might be something that's in your heart that's coming to the surface and you're saying, oh, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, but it may not actually be objectively truth. Again, what is the church's role in this? It's to speak the truth in love. So a lot of discipleship is coming together and saying, okay, this is what I believe, and for someone else to say, well, can we question that? I mean, we know it's coming from a heart that's desperately wicked and filled with deceit, and we know that we have suppressed the truth, and we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So can we just question that? Like, is that possible? Yes, let's question that. And speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So first thing you ask is, is it true? Second thing you ask is, is it absolutely, can you absolutely know that it's true? And the third thing that you ask, great, so how do you react what happens when you believe that thought? This is another discipleship question. So you have this, this circumstance that's going on. How do you respond? How do you react? See, we don't know if it's true, but we, we react as if it's true. So did you know that when you get chased by a bear, I've never personally been chased by a bear, but um, apparently when you get chased by a bear, your body actually physically responds to being chased by a bear. So like your eyes dilate and you're actually able to see further and you can focus in really sharply. Your hearing becomes extra sensitive when you're being chased by a bear and you're looking for places to, to move and you can hear things in a, a little bit more sharper. Uh, your heartbeat goes up, so it's supplying a ready supply of blood to your muscles, which are taut and ready to act and ready to move. Um, your adrenaline gets released, and it gives you an extra burst of energy and 
gives you the ability to move quicker and react and respond quicker. You can run fast. You can do all of that because you're being chased by a bear. But here's the thing. If you perceive that a bear is chasing you, even if there's not a bear that's chasing you, and you're sitting alone in a room with no bear, your body still responds as if you're being chased by a bear. Your eyes still dilate. Your hearing becomes super sensitive. Your adrenaline is pumping. Your heart is pumping, et cetera, et cetera. So our perceptions are so important because we believe them to be true. That's why we question our perceptions because we react. We, we move because we believe that that thought is true. So uh, a discipleship question that we might ask is, how do you know that it's true? How do you know if you're believing a lie, or how do you know if, if it's true? Well, if you're believing a lie, we can actually see by negative responses that you're believing a lie. Because if you're believing the truth that God loves you, he cares for you, that everything is going to be okay, you're not going to be heart palpitating, adrenaline pumped, with your eyes laser focused. You're going to be relaxed, right? But how do you know you're believing a lie? Look at, at verses 13 through 14. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. Great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. You shall not fear. You shall be far from terror. It shall not come near you. If you inverse these things, God is wanting to bring to Israel's mind, this is what I'm, this is what I'm taking you out of. Right? I'm taking you out of oppression. I'm taking you out of fear. I'm taking you away from terror. I'm taking you away from strife and giving you peace. So one of the ways that you know you're believing a lie is that you do fear. You do doubt God's goodness. You fear the future. They're worried about their children and whether or not they're going to be established in peace. Right? One of the ways you know you're believing a lie is that you fear, that you sin, you get angry, you get frustrated, you get short with other people. Another way is you double down on your own righteousness. You don't believe in God's righteousness given to you. Verse 14, God will establish you in righteousness. But when you're believing a lie, you double down on your own righteousness, right? I'm good. I'm worthy is what you say. And you double down on your own. Sometimes we medicate and we sin more. We become unrighteous. We stay in our sin. If we don't believe that God cares about us and we don't believe that his redemption is on us and that Jesus and his work on the cross is there not only to free us from sin but to help us to grow and look more like Jesus, if we don't believe that, then what we do is we're like, well, you know what? He doesn't care. None of this is doing any good anyway, so I might as well just let loose and sin even more, right? Uh, verse 15, another way you know you're sinning. Anyone stirs up strife, right? So you start to villainize your coworker or whoever you have that perception that they don't like, you start to villainize them behind their back. This is just what, we, what they did back then. It's what we do here, Right? So your coworker, you think you have a perception that your coworker hates you, wants you to fail. Is it true? Can you absolutely know it's true? How do you react? What happens when you have that thought? But let me ask you this. 
who would you be without this thought? If this was not true, if this perception, you actually said, oh, this is a lie that I'm believing. What if that was replaced by the truth of Jesus in your life? You would walk in the inheritance, the heritage, and the vindication of our Lord. Verse 17. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. How do you know you're living in the truth? You have the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life, right? So some of us ask, how do we stop believing lies? How do we do this? I gave four questions, but questions are powerless, right? But how do we actually transfer over from lies to truth? And my answer is who, not how. God says that he's going to bring vindication. He says at the end of verse 16, I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. See, the ravager points to Jesus in the New Testament. The full-on attack and assault on lies is Jesus at the cross. Lies will bow down to the ravager. Everything bows down to the ravager. He works havoc and destruction on lies. How? Largely by telling the truth. Jesus told the truth all the time. Why? Because he is truth. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you have someone, the ravager, who is truth. And he sends the Holy Spirit of truth. And God is not like man that he would lie. There is no darkness. There's no shifting shadow in the Father. So you have a triune, ravaging God who is declaring war on truth in your life. Jesus said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, telling the truth, living and leaning in on the truth of God, that's the number one way, offensive, ravaging weapon that we have to destroy lies. Abiding in Jesus, abiding in the truth, will destroy lies that you have believed and carried around, possibly for your entire lives. In Matthew 4, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he, um, he just got baptized, and God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, and this started the public ministry of Jesus. And so the first thing that God does is he sends his Holy Spirit to lead Jesus out into the wilderness, where Jesus fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, so he was at his weakest point, and then Satan shows up, and starts telling lies to Jesus. So he's at his weakest point, and he's being lied to by Satan. When Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, Jesus defended himself only with, it is written. Our master might have assailed Satan with rhetoric and logic, 
Why did he not discuss points with him as they arose? Here were three different propositions to be discussed, but our Lord and Master selected this true Jerusalem blade of the word of God. Let us not hesitate for a moment, but grasp and hold fast this one true weapon of the saints in all times. Cast away the wooden sword of carnal reasoning. Trust not in human eloquence, but arm yourselves with the solemn declarations of God who selected the best weapon. What was best for him is best for you. Our Lord used the weapon at the outset of his career. He had not yet come into the public ministry. But if I may use the expression, while his young hand was yet untried in public warfare, he grasped at once the weapon ready forged for him and boldly declared three words, it is written. You only have to open your Bible, find the text, and hurl it at Satan like a stone from David's sling, and you will win the battle. It is written. For your upcoming dreaded duels, it is written is the best short sword and shield. That was written by Charles Spurgeon. This week I sent out a post to Facebook and asked the question, what are some commonly believed lies that we have? And I was super, it was super helpful to have so many people write back. But honestly, I just wept when I read all of the lies that we're carrying around with us all the time. Not that I, I didn't weep because I'm surprised that we carry lies. I wept because the implications of those lies are so deep. Lies like God doesn't love us. And what, what happens is the implications of those lies is then we don't, we don't read our Bibles because every time we open our Bibles, we feel judgment from God, right? We're not going to pray. And we actually question about praying itself because if we pray, he's not going to do anything anyway. And that's our perception and it's the thing that is in our hearts and I wept because this is where we're at. This is, these are the implications that we live through. Um, I'd like to answer some of them here this morning by grace through faith and with it is written. I can't get to all of them here. Um, but one perception that we had, I thought was, uh, I've seen this a lot. It's that I am unlovable, that I'm unwanted, that I'm forgotten. I mean, finish this one because I'm unwanted because God doesn't love me. He doesn't want me. He has forgotten me. His joy is for someone else and not for me. I'm undesirable, therefore God is, is silent and distant. God's answer, it is written, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, be, because I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's written. 
Another perception that we have is it's useless for me to pray. Why pray when he's, he's not going to answer? It's written, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's, it's written. Another perception is God enjoys or is indifferent to my suffering because, especially in the context of pain, he makes me suffer so that I would grow. It's written, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's written. Another perception. I must be different in order for God to love me or to talk to me. He doesn't love me where I am right now. Um, I was praying with two young ladies in my group Wednesday night and um, one of the girls, the other girl and I were praying for her and we were seeking and listening for some words to encourage her and some words that might be helpful so we were just being silent and asking God would you speak to us and help us to bring what words you want for her to hear and uh, in my mind I just heard very clearly cleansed I thought oh that's interesting I, I don't think on that that much um, biblically but um, so then by grace through faith I picked up Google and try and find out where in the Bible it says cleansed and I came to this this verse in first John and um, so then we kind of got done listening and um, and I just asked her I said hey does the word cleansed resonate with you does it mean anything to you and um, it was amazing her response like it was so honest she goes well yeah it does mean something to me I don't feel like I'm cleansed and that's the reason why God's not speaking to me and she said if I was clean then he would speak to me but because I'm not he won't and so I said to her can I read this scripture to you and First um, John 1 7 if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin and then I took a moment to just remind her of who she is in Jesus that he has cleansed you that when Jesus is on the cross his blood is pure he always did what's good and right and perfect the father sees him completely clean God sees him as completely perfect and now you're in Christ and so now God sees you as cleansed he sees you as clean and she kind of smiled and then we kind of moved on and I asked her um, I called her yesterday and I said hey I just want to follow up with like how you were processing through all that we talked about and all of that and she goes well if I'm honest I was sitting there deathly afraid when you and, and the other girl that I was praying with, when you guys were praying for me, 
I was deathly afraid because I thought God's going to bring up some sin, either past or present, and we're going to say, see, you are terrible. That's why God's not talking to you. That's why you don't hear prophecies from him because you're filled with sin and you're terrible. That's literally what she was thinking. And the, the beauty of it is, is that several minutes after we, after we talked about her being cleansed, that she prophesied over me. She heard from God and brought one of my favorite Bible passages to mind and just talked to me and prophesied over to me in a very, very meaningful way. And she said the moment that she heard that she was cleansed, she said the anxiety just went away. See, there's this perception that I must be different in order for God to love me or talk to me, but it is written, you're cleansed. Jesus cleanses you from all sin. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Some of us look at that and we're like deathly afraid of being judged by God. But in this case, it was the exact thing that she needed to hear. I would have never thought that her hearing that she was cleansed by Jesus would unlock this, would take away anxiety, would take away her uh, being tossed back and forth in despair, and yet it did. So how do we respond to this? Pick up your Bible, take your perception, move through the Bible, find a friend to help you find where it is written that goes against your perception, where it goes against. Because if you're feeling anxiety, if you're feeling frustrated and anger or whatever, I can guarantee that there's some lie that you're believing because when we do believe the truth of God, we experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, etc. So grab a friend, grab your Bible, and declare war on this, on this perception. Take God at his word, right? Oh, I am loved. Take him at his word. What are the implications of him loving you through his son, Jesus? I want to call the band back up. And we're going to respond. We're going to sing, hopefully sing loudly. Hopefully sing with great joy. Because Revelation is so deeply tied to God's truth. And Revelation is salvation. Like for her, in one moment she believed that she was under judgment. And then a moment later, by the work of the Holy Spirit, she believed that she was cleansed. This is revelation. This is how salvation happens. So God's salvation is on you when his truth is on you. Make it is written part of your vernacular more than, well, I believe because of my perception or because of my circumstances. When you read God's word, make it personal to you. It is written for me. This morning, we're going to take communion. When you take communion, make it personal. It is written that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. 
so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Jesus' work at the cross stands. It's ratified. There's no annulment of it. It is written. If when I was preaching you heard from God concerning our congregation, um, something that's encouraging, that would build up the body, and you want you want to share it with the body, come and find me. I'll be up here, and we can put our heads together and see if God wants us to share that this morning with everyone. Um, if you heard of something as I was preaching for somebody individually, um, I would say go to them to encourage them, to uplift them, to bring the truth of God into their life. We're going to continue singing. We're going to do communion first, then continue singing. And at the end, our prayer team will be there. And um, the same thing. If there is a a perception that's bringing you angst and anger and frustration, bring it to them. You can put your heads together. Ask God to find the place where it is written toward that perception. We pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you that you divide soul and marrow in a good way so that it will set us free. So I pray, Lord, that as we're singing praying, talking, taking communion, you would set us free. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.